Hello, everybody. Welcome back into Locked On Colts, Prey Locked On Podcast Network. Today's always your host, Evan Sider, and joined by our weekly guest on the show, George Bremer, the Herald Bulletin. How are you doing today, George? Really good. How are you doing today? Doing good. And a happy near, early New Year's to you. We're recording some New Year's Eve. And a very interesting season just wrapped up for the Colts here, 7-9, and nine, as they lost 38-20 to 20 in Jacksonville. Let's start off with that game first, George, and we'll talk a little bit about the season in whole and look ahead to the offseason a little bit. But a very interesting game on Sunday in Jacksonville. It's always a weird game for them the last five years in Jacksonville. They still haven't won a game in the last five years there. They were up at halftime. They uh, had 20 points in the first half of that game. But all of a sudden, the Jaguars outscored them, and they won by 18 points. Just a, a, a microcosm, I think, of the 2019 Colts season there. Just they couldn't finish that game. Yeah, very much. Uh, you saw a lot of the same things. A promising start. Uh, things got a little wonky in the middle, and then they collapsed at the end, which pretty much what we've seen uh, from the season as a whole. Uh, and, and the problems, you know, and one thing about it is, I know there's a lot of code speak and a lot of things coming out of, of the uh, the headquarters there on, on West 56th Street right now that make people mad. But I think one of the things that they've been saying consistently that is going to be addressed this offseason, and it just flat has to be. You look at every stat out there, you just watch the games with your eyes. You know, I, I thought the most telling thing Frank Reich said the other day was they've got to be better on both sides of the ball. Uh, in, in the passing game, you know, offensively, not enough production there. You saw it again on Sunday. Defensively, not enough stops, uh, making it too easy on these guys. And, and I think it goes, you know, there are some easy culprits on both sides. Obviously, Jacoby Brissett's had a lot to do with, with what's gone wrong on offense in the passing game. But, you know, there's some things receivers can do to, to make things better as well. And I think the same is true on defense. I think secondary has got to – to shore up getting Kenny Moore back obviously would help a lot right there but you know you can't absolve the pass rush from this either they haven't done their job either and so I you know as in any area with any football team I don't think it's one thing it's the group not functioning as a whole yeah that's a good point to bring up there and just to look at the season as a whole for a second because a five and two start we were talking I think in October George about if this Colts team could be a first round by contender which is how that Kansas City win they go in and beat Houston at home two really strong statement type of games. And after that, just season just went down the tubes a little bit, finishing two and seven. What do you remember from the first half of the season? What, what went wrong exactly in the second half of the season here, George? Because I just feel like the Colts, a lot of that success in the first half wasn't sustainable. What do you think wasn't sustainable and why do you think that happened? Yeah, I think some of it was regressing to the mean. I mean, they won a lot of close games early. So I think the most easy explanation, uh, the simplest piece of this this equation was that you know, some some of the luck or fortune or whatever, the ball bouncing the right way, whatever you want to call it, went against them in the second half and went w- with them in the first half. But that's only, I think, you know, the, the surface level part of it. I, I think a lot of things went wrong. Um, first of all, teams figured out that, you know, if you could just even bottle up the running game, just don't let them get 200 yards on the ground, uh, you can put the offense in a real bind. Jacoby Brissett was never really able to consistently test defenses down the field. Uh, and never and towards the end of the season, I think the most alarming thing to me, there were issues all year long. The people that say that are absolutely right. Even when they were 5-2, and two, there were things that he was doing that he needed to improve on. But towards the end of the year, uh, not even being able to, to even get close to 60% completions, in this offense, in this scheme, if you're going to throw the ball short and let that open up the deep ball, you can't miss receivers. You know, you absolutely have to take advantage of all those. The only way that system works 
is if you're methodically moving the ball down the field five, seven, 10, 12, 14 yards at a time. And that, that wasn't happening. They were getting behind the chains. Uh, it was just too easy for defenses. I mean, in, in the most simplistic terms, it was too easy for defenses. They knew if they loaded the box, they probably weren't going to get beat deep. They probably weren't going to get beat by Jacoby in his arm. And so the offense kind of ground to a hole at some point. Uh, it had its moments. It had flashes. But obviously there was no consistency there. And defensively, it just seemed like they got sloppy. That one to me is harder to explain. Offensively, it's pretty easy. The passing game disappeared. It was on a milk cart in the second half of the year. And that explains what happened to the offense. Defensively, it just looked like their technique, their discipline, their rules, whatever you want to point to, got sloppy uh, after Kenny Moore went out, really. And it, part of it, Kenny Moore is the most underrated guy on this roster. And he does so much for this team in terms of allowing that secondary to be more versatile, to play more man, to mix up coverages. We all know he's the best blitzing cornerback in the league. Uh, but that alone doesn't explain the drop-off to the level, to the extent that, that it got. Uh, Pierre Desir had a very disappointing season, especially in the second half. Some of that probably had to do with hamstring and groin injuries, but that's not going to be something that can be repeated. That was a big, big problem for this team. I think Rocky Sim was better than people think. Uh, his biggest problem is he continues to be too handsy. You know, they've, they've got to work on that. It's, it's a young guy thing. He got too many penalties because he was grabbing at people. And if he doesn't do that, I think you're going to see him grow pretty quickly. But the secondary in general was a disappointment. Malik Hooker had a bad year in coverage. Uh, the irony is he was a better run defender than he was a pass defender this year. And that's the exact opposite of what you expect him to be. Uh, but that's the way it turned out. You know, he, he showed he could get physical, get up and, and make some tackles. But there were all kinds of miscommunications in the backfield uh, in the secondary. There were all kinds of just breakdowns in technique, breakdowns in, you know, if you're around Matt Eberflus at all, if you've seen any of his press conferences, I know, Evan, you were there at training camp, so you, you got to hear him a few times. You'll hear from him all the time. Alignment, assignment, key, technique. That's where the defense failed in my mind. They were not where they were supposed to be when they were supposed to be there. And it all when they're, when they're making mistakes and they're not getting to the quarterback, they're not being able to put pressure on the quarterback, and then they're bad on the back end, you saw the results for most of the second half of the year. Yeah, speaking of that defense, George, I'm glad you went, went on into detail about that a little bit because I've seen some fans talk about this on Twitter and just around some other places about how close this Colts defense is to being like a top-notch defense. We talked about in October when everyone was healthy at that point. Darius Leonard came back. Kamoka Ture was really, I think, going to have a blossom second year. I think he's going to have a really good year, maybe double-digit sacks with the rate he was going at. Kenny Moore, of course, like you mentioned, is the most underrated player on this team, in my opinion. How many more pieces does Colts defense need? And do we actually need to talk a little bit about the scheme as well at Matt Eberflus because we noticed an awful lot this year, like that middle of the, the zone coverage there, like seven to 20 yards deep, there's always a hole in the middle of the field. Do you think how close personnel-wise they are and, and how close do you think the scheme is to being a, a top-notch scheme itself? Now, you, the scheme is best when he's being able to be versatile. I mean, we saw that last year as the, the defense got better as the year went on and that's when they got healthier and, and they knew the scheme better. They were able to play, do more with it. Um, and when they lost Kenny Moore, I think there's the problems in the scheme. I mean, there's always – there's holes in the zone. That's, that's just part of the, the, the way it is. But for that matter, there's holes in man-to-man. -man. I mean, any defense you want to roll, ring up, there is a hole there, and the right quarterback's going to find it. Uh, but I feel like when this defense is, is clicking, when it's able to have success like it did in Kansas City, like it did for most part the first time against Houston – 
like we saw for a good stretch in the middle of the season, honestly, it's when they're versatile, when they're able to mix up their coverages, disguise a lot of what they're doing, bring blitzers from different spots. And when Kenny Moore's not there, they're really limited in doing that. And I know there's probably some people right now shaking their heads and, you know, what, what's he talking about? That's how important this guy is to this defense. The, the, the way that he can play allows Matt Eberflus to do so much more in terms of disguise, in terms of mixing up his coverages, in terms of mixing up his blitzes. And that, that's the only way this defense is going to succeed. I think when they just come out and they play straight-up zone or straight-up man-to-man, they're, they're not going to beat guys one-on-one. You know what I mean? They're not going to win that battle straight up. they got to do a little extra to it. I think from a personnel standpoint, you, the biggest missing spot is that three technique. When you look back at, obviously, the Colts team that won the Super Bowl here uh, had Booger McFarland in there. When the Bucks were ruling uh, the defensive landscape for a while with Tony Dungy in this scheme, they had Warren Sapp. When the Bears went to the Super Bowl, they had Tommy Harris. He got hurt, and they weren't the same defense in that game. And I think that the Colts don't have that guy. Vinico Autry, I think, can be at times, but he hasn't consistently been that guy. They need somebody athletic, quick, at that three-technique spot, interior defensive line spot, who can get pressure up the middle and force the quarterback to the guys who get the sacks, you know, on the outside. Uh, and, you know, Ture coming back and being healthy and, and showing that he could consistently do the things that we saw flashes of this year would be a big help to this team. And then adding another defensive end. I think Justin Houston was everything that they, they thought he would be this year. But for a lot of, a lot of times he was a one man band out there and that can't happen. You have to have obviously a lot more pressure on the quarterback than we saw consistently from the Colts this season. We talk about fitness a lot, but there's another side of the game that's just as important. I'm talking about mental fitness. Calm, the number one app for sleep and meditation, has teamed up with LeBron James to help you train your mind. LeBron and Calm know that your mind is like any other muscle in your body, and Calm can help you train your brain so you can sleep better, have less stress, perform at your best. For LeBron James, sleep is an important part of his mental fitness routine. As he says, getting good sleep and finding time to rest is one of the most valuable things I can do for my body and my mind. So if you want to be like LeBron, head over to calm.com slash locked on, and you'll get 40% off at a Calm premium membership. With Calm, you have access to the nature scenes like LeBron loves and so much more, like sleep stories and meditations. For a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron using Calm with a 40% discount to an annual membership at calm.com slash locked on. Unlock content to help you focus, ease stress, and sleep better. Get started at calm.com slash locked on. Again, that is C-A-L-M.com slash locked on, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. I think through the first two years of this Eberflus scheme, the one thing I've noticed, George, and I imagine you probably agree here, that that front four is probably the most important part as far as making it succeed because if you place like a prime Dwight Freeney and a prime Robert Mathis on both edges there, you threw in a Warren Sapp, for example, I feel like this defense will be unstoppable because that front four, the pressure, those secondary, those secondary guys can't cover for seven to eight seconds perfection every single time. And I feel like the pass rush, they had 41 sacks this year, only four more than last year with even adding in Justin Houston. I feel like that is really the bare bones of what this defense needs to succeed here is having elite pass rush on every single game. Absolutely. And I, I mean, when you look at those teams that have succeeded in the past, that's what they've all had. They've had that, that three technique guy who can get that push up the middle and keep guys uncomfortable right away. And then they've had defensive ends that can get after the quarterback. The Colts probably not probably the Colts definitely had the best pair of pass rushers in this scheme that, that the league's ever seen in Freeney and Mathis. Uh, I don't think the Bears or the Bucks, when they were running this defense, ever attain them quite like that at end. 
Uh, and that's, that's what the Colts have got to find. And that's a tough thing to do. Uh, but absolutely, the front four is the absolute most important part of this defense because when they're not getting pressure, it almost doesn't matter what's happening behind them. If the front four is not getting pressure, any quarterback worth his salt is going to tear this, this defense apart. Look, going over to Jacoby Brissett for a second here in the offense passing game as a whole here, I know Frank Reich mentioned in his press conference yesterday that that's his main thing he's going to work on this offseason is getting that passing game above where it was this year, under 200 yards per game. But looking at Jacoby Brissett, his second half of the year, George, only three games above 200 yards passing in the last eight games he played in a full participation. What do you think it was? Why did Jacoby regress so badly? And looking back at 2017, I know it's a completely different scheme with Chuck Pagano and Rob Chenzinski, and you kind of threw it deep more often. But I feel like Jacoby just shied away more often this year going deep. We only saw maybe Tampa Bay was the one game where he actually was testing defense deep a lot. Yeah, I thought all year he wasn't aggressive. Uh, Tampa Bay game, he was. Uh, during the second Titans game, I think he, he went deep a couple times, at least deeper than he had been most of the year. It was a little more aggressive with his route uh, selection. But, yeah, I thought that's where it started with him, too hesitant. You know, I, I felt like uh, he held the ball too long at times. I know it feels like that's every quarterback. That's kind of the, the, the complaint, you know. And even when Andrew Luck was here, there were people complaining about that. And I, sometimes that's not on the quarterback. Sometimes it's the play that's called. Sometimes it's other factors that are out there. But I just felt like there weren't enough times where Jacoby was decisive, especially in the second half. But it was a year-long thing. Rarely does he get the ball in the end rhythm. You see a guy like Drew Brees, uh, he's one of the best at it. But any quarterback, really, when they get in rhythm and they're hot, and it's sort of like they're dropping back and that back foot hits and the ball's out. And I don't know if you really saw that with Jacoby at any point. That's always, to me, when a quarterback's confident. You can tell a guy that's doing that, first of all, has a full knowledge of what the defense is doing or his game is Winston and doesn't care. But most of the time, the guy has a full knowledge of what the defense is doing has really good confidence, really good understanding with the receivers. You know, when you're getting step, 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 and the ball's out, that defenses hate to see that because it's hard to get to the guy. Offenses love it. I don't know if I ever saw that this year from Jacoby, where it just felt like he's in a zone, he's got everything going the way he wants it to go. And I know it's hard to find those guys. You know, those quarterbacks are, are special. That's part of why everyone's looking for those guys every year. But I just never felt like you, you saw that from him. Uh, that decisiveness, that aggressiveness. And then when he's as inaccurate as he was for the last three, four games in particular, he was never, like, acutely accurate. He's never going to be Drew Brees, 70% kind of a guy. But he was hovering around 65 66% uh, around midseason, and it dropped close to 60 At the end of the year, you're looking at, like, 52 53 that's not going to work. Not in today's game. You, you can't do that because and, – and I think it's not just the completion percentage. That is an, is an obvious byproduct. You're going to see that. Uh, that's the thing that stands out the most. But there are even times where he completed passes, but the ball wasn't where it should have been. And so a play that could have been broken and maybe become a 10- or 12-yard game for a receiver went for four or five yards because the guy had to stop, come back to the ball, and then defense got there and, and stopped him. Those are things that I think need to improve. Uh, but, you know, the, the discouraging part of that is there, there are things that were problems in 2017 as well. Yeah, and I think overall, Jacoby, we kind of know at this point that he's not a guy who's going to lift guys up around him as far as stats go. He needs, like, really some game trainers around him to help him get going. And we saw in this second part of the year, especially without Eric Ebron, Devin punches out the entire season, Paris Campbell going down multiple times, T.Y. Hilton going down. 
how important is it for this offense, especially if Jacoby is starting next year, which I imagine he will be. I, I'd be shocked if they do go outside and get like another bridge quarterback over Brissett just for a one-year deal. But how important is it to find more playmakers, especially for T.Y. Hilton this year? Because we saw far too often teams just, just boxed up T.Y. And outside of that, the Colts didn't really have any man beaters, so to say. Yeah, and you know, I hate to to harp on injuries, but it really is impossible to talk about that area of the game this year and not mention. I mean, T.Y. missed six games, which has never happened before in his career. And a couple other ones he played, he obviously wasn't himself. Uh, you could tell a big difference just in the T.Y. Hilton that played against the Jaguars on Sunday than in the T.Y. Hilton that played, say, in Houston uh, in that incredibly important game uh, that really more or less determined the, the AFC South, at least from the Colts' standpoint. Um, and then Paris Campbell, we never really got to see him at all. I still think he's a perfect fit for this scheme, for what Frank Reich wants to do. Uh, but we haven't had a chance to see it because he had the worst injury luck I can remember in recent memory. Every time he came back, it was something new. It would be one thing if it was like he got an ankle injury in training camp and he was just never the same. This was three or four different injuries. Uh, it was just pure, unadulterated bad luck. You hate to see that for anybody, but a rookie in particular. And then speaking of bad luck, Devin Funches breaks his collarbone. And he was a guy that, I'll tell you, it was really interesting watching his growth through the spring and the summer because early on, Funches and, and Brissett were not on the same page. By the time they got to that opener, and you could see it during that first game, Jacoby had a lot of confidence in, in Devin. And I think Funches gave him that big target. He was that matchup problem. He was the one guy I think Jacoby was – at least somewhat comfortable throwing a 50-50 type of ball to. Um, not That's never going to be a big part of Jacoby's game, but to the extent that he will do it, Funches is the kind of guy that he was going to do it with. You, you never see those guys together. And, and I think that is probably one of the most disappointing parts of the offense. None of that's to excuse the results. None of that's to excuse what Jacoby did or didn't do. But it is to say you need to find that again. You need to get T.Y. Hilton healthy. You need to get Paris Campbell healthy. You need to bring in another guy, upgrade from where Devin Funches was at, uh, because that's the only way it's going to work. And I really think, to me, the shelf, the ceiling, whatever you want to call it, for, uh, for Jacoby Brissett is game man. And I think at his best, he'll be a efficient quarterback. You know, throw those shorter passes, hopefully hit the guys in stride, give them a chance to make plays. He's not going to be the guy who's back there winning the game on his own. Yeah, totally agree with you there as well, George. And moving ahead to the offseason here for a few minutes, because I think this is – we've talked about this many times before, but I think after this disappointing stretch, 2-7 and seven the finish season, I think this is the most intriguing offseason we've seen in a very long time for this Colts franchise, especially with Chris Bauer. A lot's on his plate this offseason. What do you think if you're walking in – let's put the GM hat on you, George, for a second. Let's say you're the GM here. What, what's on your whiteboard? What's the top of your whiteboard? Maybe a top three, top five of we need to accomplish this this offseason to have this team be a lot better. Yeah, it starts with Anthony Casanzo. You need to find out what the situation is there. Uh, I all along thought re-signing him was the number one priority. Now, finding out if he even wants to play anymore is the number one priority. Uh, that will set the rest of the offseason to me because if Casanzo does not come back, then there is a good chance to a very good chance that that 13th overall pick is going to be an offensive tackle uh, because they're going to have to replace him almost immediately. And I think the receiver depth is such that they'll still probably be able to go get a guy with that Redskins pick, maybe even with their own pick in the second round uh, if they pass in the first round. And I don't know that the quarterback 
depth chart's going to fall the way that they want, where somebody is going to be screaming to them at 13 to, that, that he's the guy. Uh, we'll see. You know, you know as well as anybody, that kind of thing changes so much between now and April uh, in terms of where guys are rated, uh, what the overall view is of a prospect. And it, all it takes is, you know, one guy from the team to fall in love with. And, and everything that I'm saying right now goes out the window. But I, I really feel like offense tackles where it starts. Uh, you know, hopefully the, the idea is that they'll be able to bring Anthony Costanzo back. I know that that's sort of the way that Frank Reich talked about it yesterday, uh, that they don't have any other plans. You know, there's no plan B there. Um, that's where it begins. And then after that, you need a playmaking receiver and not, not a potential guy. You know, I think they need to bring in an established receiver, whether that is a free agent or it's a more polished product coming out of, of college. I think in the past, Ballard has leaned more towards guys with high upside, knowing that he's got a really good offensive coaching staff and knowing that he had Andrew Luck and figuring if, if he could take a guy with a, a little higher ceiling there was a better chance of getting that guy there with this group. Now I think with Andrew Luck gone and, and retired, you need to, to get more polished, more uh, kind of ready-made wide receivers. I think that's going to be a big priority, finding at least one, maybe two of those guys. Uh, mentioned the defensive tackle earlier. I think that's another thing that's still going to be high on the to-do list, finding that three technique who can be disruptive up the middle. I think if they could find another long, lengthy, athletic corner like Marvell Tell uh, that they can kind of build with and, and bring along another project type of guy, I think that would probably be a good idea to add to the mix as well. And then, you know, you always want another defensive end. I mean, I don't think – if you've got two pass rushers, you want three. If you've got three, you want four. If you've got four, you want five. It's going to be a yearly thing. Uh, right now they got one with Justin Houston and, and maybe – one and a half uh, with Kamoko Ture because I think he showed what, what he can possibly do. Uh, but you can't bank on that right now. You need to go out and get somebody else who you feel confident in. And then quarterback's going to be the big thing. You know, I really – I'm personally not very big on this draft class. Good news for everybody listening is I have nothing to say about it. They don't care what I think. No one's going to ask me. Uh, and if, if Chris Ballard does take a quarterback in the first round, then my eyes will really light up because at that point it means he's got conviction in the guy and he has seen something uh, that he, he thinks can make this guy the guy. I don't think that's going to happen this offseason. I think it's more likely going to be somebody who comes in and, and competes behind Jacoby and maybe is a starter down the road, uh, but not a week one type of guy. And, and we'll see how that plays out. But uh, that's obviously going to be a dominant headline throughout the offseason. If you haven't already, go and subscribe to Locked On Colts, the only daily Colts podcast out there. We're not slowing down. The season has just now stopped as the Colts finish a disappointing 7-9 on the season. But we're going to be with you guys all throughout the year. We don't stop here on Locked On Colts. We're with you throughout the Senior Bowl coverage in January, the Combine in February and March, the Pro Days, the Draft, Free Agency. All of that is going to be covered here on Locked On Colts as our usual guest each week. Even some new guests sprinkled in too as we get more and more into deep in the draft coverage as well. You don't want to miss out. And if you like what you're hearing, leave us a five-star review on iTunes, Spotify, wherever platform you're listening to us on, because we're on every single platform, too, if you haven't known that already. So go ahead and leave a review and let us know at Locked On Colts. And go ahead and follow us on Twitter as well, at Locked On Colts.
Yeah, speaking of Costanzo, I'm glad you brought that up first, George, because that was kind of a bombshell yesterday when you guys were in the locker room talking to him, and he brought the possibility of retiring. There was really no mention of him, like, I'm making a money grab or anything, like, I want to get paid all this money and go somewhere else. If they don't do that, I'm going to leave. It's pretty much, I want to re-sign up the Colts, I love it here, or I'm going to retire at age 31. Does, is, would that surprise you at all, George, when he said that? Because the more I thought about it, the more, like, he said he's good friends with Andrew Luck, they kind of have the same kind of mentality Anthony Costan doesn't care much about the money. He cares about his love of the game. And maybe this is kind of his time to hang up if that is the possibility. Right. It surprised me in the sense that I hadn't heard it. You know, I, I hadn't, I didn't, I can't sit here and say that, that I had any feeling that, that was coming, but it doesn't surprise me in the sense of all the things you were just talking about. I think he's a highly intelligent guy, has a lot of interest outside of football. Um, and I'll tell you what, just, you know, I, I remember T.Y. Hilton talking about it afterwards. Somebody asked him about, you know, how do you feel about this situation? And he said, this game's not easy. And, you know, sooner or later, it, it wears all of us down. And I just, you know, we're not invo- emotionally involved on the media side. So I can't even imagine what it was like for the players and the coaches and the people whose jobs depend on the win, wins and losses of it all. Uh, but this season was a really tough one. I, you probably felt some of it, uh, you know, even just having been there at training camp and then seeing the way things rolled out. Um, it was a really hard year. And I think everybody uh, from Jim Ursay down to the secretaries in the building to us lowly media people, you're just glad to walk away and get a deep breath. It was a very, very difficult year on so many levels. And I think that I felt like, and I'm reading into to Frank Reich's comments here, so that's dangerous all the time. But I felt like that's kind of what he was alluding to when he said we all need a break, we all need to, to catch our breath a little bit uh, in talking about the Costanzo situation, I think that has a big part of this. I think right now this season took a big toll on everybody, and there's probably part of Anthony Costanzo that needs to work through that before he decides what he wants to do for his long-term future. Last question I had for you, George. Appreciate the time as always here on the podcast of the season. But going into the 2020s now, we're recording some New Year's Eve. It's going to be uh, 2020 here in a couple hours. What do you think Colts fans should be looking at as far as the 2020s go? We saw 2010 and 2019, you had franchise quarterbacks, Andrew Luck retired in 2019, you had Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck throughout this decade. How should Colts fans readjust their expectations heading into a new decade with a lot of young talent, of course, but still a question at quarterback. Where do you think this Colts team lands entering into the 2020 season as far as what their window is? Definitely the quarterback question is going to dominate all of this. you know, And I do think – as much as I'm down on the free agent class, excuse me, as much as I'm down on the free agent class this year and as much as I'm down on the rookie crop in general, uh, I, at least the ones that will be available to the Colts. I mean, I don't think anybody's down on Joe Burrow, but he's not, he's not coming to Indianapolis. Um, in general, the guys who the Colts will have a chance to get, I, I'm just not that excited about. I do think this setting, what the Colts have here in Indianapolis, from the fan base and their understanding of, of what a franchise quarterback looks like, and how you treat the offense when they're on the field. I've never heard – I've been in a lot of stadiums. I've never heard any place as quiet when the home team has a ball as Lucas Oil Stadium is. People know what they're supposed to do, and that helps the offense. Uh, but way beyond that, I think Frank Reich, Nick Sirianni, Marcus Brady are, are some of the quarterback's best friends. I think it's a really good situation here with the offensive line, with a running game to support a guy. You still have a playmaker like T.Y. Hilton. The expectation is they're going to add more to that. Uh, so I do feel like it's not a bad place for a guy to land. Uh, and I think there's a better chance for a quarterback who's maybe in that middle ground 
to succeed and hit his high end here than there might be other places. But that's going to dominate the 2020s, trying to find that guy who's that next quarterback. As far as what's already here, there's two building blocks that everybody knows that are outstanding and, and unquestionable. I thought the best thing about this year, you know, all the other things that you want to debate about and, and, and was this good, was it bad, what does it all mean? The best thing about this year is that Quentin Nelson and Darius Leonard proved they are all pro guys. They are two guys on each side of the ball that you can build around that will be leaders on and off the field for this team. And that's, that's where it starts. And a lot of teams would like to start with two all pros uh, the way the Colts have. There's, there's things that need to be done, obvious things that need to be done to, to get this team back into contention. Uh, but I think Darius Leonard and Quentin Nelson are going to be a, a really good place to start. Yeah, definitely agree with you there, George. This has been a very fun season. I know you're going to be around still in the offseason, but a very fun roller coaster ride from the very beginning here. So appreciate you coming on the podcast from day one here. So helped us out a lot. So appreciate that. You can follow George on Twitter at GM Bremer. You can read his content if you haven't already over at the Herald Bulletin. Thanks again, George. Appreciate the time. Happy New Year to you. No problem. Thanks a lot. Happy New Year.